You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you listening in for our Blue Friday episode, whether it's your first time listening to Locked On Seahawks or your regular listener. A lot on tap on today's show. It's our weekly mailbag segment. I'll be answering your questions, plus a look at the tight end group, some players that may intrigue the Seahawks heading into the 2021 NFL Draft. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks have officially added another cornerback to the fold but it's not the big-name fans we're hoping to return, at least not yet. Instead, the team has agreed to terms with Demarius Randall on a one-year contract. Financial terms have yet to be disclosed. If this name sounds familiar, it's because Randall did play for the Seahawks last season. He appeared in 10 games. He was listed as a safety, primarily played special teams, had a few games he missed due to injury as well. But Randall's an intriguing player. When you look at his history, he was actually a first-round pick for the Green Bay Packers coming out of Arizona State, and he started a lot of games as a rookie over his three seasons in Green Bay. He started 30 games, and he had somewhat inconsistent production. There were flashes of him being a really good NFL corner, and he had great ball skills at Arizona State. That was one of the things that ended up skyrocketing him up draft boards, and he quickly became a first-round prospect. He had six interceptions in his two seasons with the Sun Devils, and quite a few passes defense to go with it. So it shouldn't be a surprise that he found success getting his hands in the football with Green Bay. In those 30 starts, he had 32 passes defense and 10 interceptions. He also had two interceptions in five playoff games for the Packers. So he had pretty good ball production. The issue is he's a really aggressive player, and a lot of the time that aggressiveness in coverage ended up burning him gave up a lot of big plays, gave up at least 13 yards per reception in each of those three seasons with the Packers. And this is the stat that's damning. He gave up 18 touchdowns in coverage per pro football focus. In 2016, his first full season as a starter, his second year with the Packers, he gave up 10 touchdowns in coverage that year alone. So it was very hit and miss production-wise. And I think that's the big reason why after three seasons, the Packers decided, you know what? We're going to move on from our first-round pick. They traded him to the Cleveland Browns in exchange for Deshaun Kaiser, former Notre Dame quarterback, along with a fifth-round pick. He actually had a really good 2018 season with Cleveland. They moved him to safety, and he had a career high in tackles, had four interceptions that year, easily the best overall season that he's had. He also had his highest marks on pro football focus grade-wise, the second season in Cleveland was not near as successful. He was dealing with injuries most of the season. His play was very erratic. Had a few games that he looked like 2018, but also looked like the player that Green Bay had the first three seasons where his performances were very uneven. So Cleveland, after picking up his fifth-year option just one year earlier, opted not to re-sign him, and he ended up signing with the Raiders. Didn't make it out of training camp. Was cut by the Raiders Landed with the Seahawks as a practice squad player. They promoted him a couple times as a game day promotion. Eventually found his way to the roster. He made three tackles in 10 games for the Seahawks last season. So this begs the question, with the Seahawks emphasizing that he's going to be moving back to corner, 
I don't think that's being done as a mistake. I think that it's a message the Seahawks expect he's going to have an opportunity to compete on the outside. He's not necessarily the type of player that in the past you would expect the Seahawks to want to play on the outside. I do think DJ Reed's success last year at five foot nine maybe has changed the way the Seahawks view that outside cornerback position moving forward. And Randall does a lot of things athletically the Seahawks look for. He ran a 4-4-6 40-yard dash, had a vertical above 37 inches coming out of Arizona State, a really good three-cone drill time as well. And he had 14 reps on bench press, which isn't bad for a corner. And in this system, they look for corners that have plenty of strength to be able to go up and press people. And so there are a lot of characteristics about Demarius Randall that you can see why he would be appealing to Coach Pete Carroll and his staff. And Carroll's always been able to get the most out of corners such as Randall. So there's got to be something that he looks at right now in his game and says, hey, you give me another year working with him. Maybe he could be a player that has an impact for us. Ultimately, though, I think this is a case where the Seahawks are looking for their next Nico Thorpe. And I think Demarius Randall is a player that showed last year he can be successful on special teams. He can play on the outside in a pinch. He's played some nickel. He's played some safety. He's that ultimate do-it-all type player that you like to have in a reserve role. So while I think he is going to get an opportunity, everybody gets to compete, I think he'll have a chance to play some snaps on the outside and see if he can compete for some playing time out there. I'd be surprised if he's able to surpass Akella Witherspoon, who was recently signed from the 49ers, DJ Reed, Trey Flowers. I would be surprised if he passes those three players on the depth chart. And I'd be surprised if he's pushing for slot reps either with Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair both coming back as well. So he's going to be that guy that's really going to have to carve out a role on special teams. I don't view this being a signing where this player is going to get a real shot to be able to play significant snaps on defense. And I also don't think that it rules out the chances of Richard Sherman coming back to Seattle. Again, that's the name all 12s want to hear being reported signing with the Seahawks. He's made it clear on the Chris Collinsworth podcast earlier this week. He doesn't expect to sign with anyone until after the draft. We'll see what Seattle does. They only have three picks. Maybe they don't end up picking a corner. I'd be surprised. I think they will get more than three selections before it's all said and done. And I think they'll pick at least one cornerback. But if they don't, even if they do, we could see Richard Sherman coming back at some point. If he's still unsigned, it keeps the opportunity for a reunion open. We'll just have to see whether that's something the team and the player want to do. There may be better offers for Sherman from other teams after the draft. So this is a fluid situation. Nonetheless, the Seahawks right now with some cheap signings, bringing back Randall, signing Witherspoon for $4 million on a one-year deal. They're going cheaper at the cornerback position right now, and they don't have any players with notable experience under contract beyond 2021. So that's maybe the biggest concern here is you've got some players that could play their way into a new contract, but you don't have any long-term options currently at the position, at least from a contract standpoint. That's where the draft could come into play. You know Richard Sherman's not going to be the long-term option at this stage of his career. So certainly a position group of concern, but Randall coming back does give them another player with plenty of experience that has the athletic tools they like to have. Doesn't have the size or the length necessarily on the outside, but it's a nice project for Pete Carroll and his staff to try to 
make him a viable outside corner, at least from a depth perspective, and he can help on special teams. When I come back in the second quarter, I'm going to be tackling your questions on our Blue Friday mailbag segment. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Happy Blue Friday to all the 12s. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, It's all the sports news you need every morning, and it's under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. It's time for our weekly Blue Friday mailbag. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. Get to tackle as many as I can here in the second quarter. Let's start off with a question from Chuck Warner. This is significant based on Demarius Randall's re-signing that was reported earlier today. He tweets, Quentin Dunbar signed for a million dollars with the Lions. Did Seattle not want him, or did he not want Seattle? Because that low of a contract seems economically viable to add into Seattle's mix at cornerback. This is a really good question, Chuck. I think when you look at the situation, I don't feel like there was animosity between the two sides. Quentin Dunbar posted on Instagram, the Seahawks and him had had some really good discussions. He enjoyed his time in Seattle, but he missed most of the season due to injury. Obviously had the armed robbery charges that were pitted against him during the offseason. Eventually, those charges were dropped. I mean, he dealt with a lot of stuff last year, some of it of his own doing. And then he had the injury issues crop back up. I think this was a case where the Seahawks had interest in bringing him back. But I think ultimately, with everything that went down over the past calendar year, even though Seattle was supposed to be a new start for him coming over from Washington – I don't think he felt like he got the fresh start that he was really hoping for, given everything that transpired. So I think the Lions were aggressive. They got him in for a meeting. They didn't let him leave without signing a contract. And so I think he felt wanted. He looked at this as another opportunity and a fresh start with a team where I think he can get some significant playing time across from Jeff Akuda, their first-round pick in last year's draft. He's got a real chance to play significant snaps there as long as he can stay healthy maybe he has that opportunity in Seattle but the signing of Akella Witherspoon and some of the players coming back he may have just seen the Lions as a better situation for similar money I don't think the Seahawks are going to be offering him any more than what the Lions did because of his injury history and the fact there wasn't a lot of interest on the market and so it doesn't really surprise me I I thought there was a better chance of him coming back than Richard Sherman ending up back in Seattle Maybe that still happens, but right now they've got four corners with significant starting experience. They could certainly use an upgrade to the position, but again, the draft seems like the most likely route they're going to go to try to add talent at that position at this point. 
Skip Bayless Seahawks fan tweets. I can tell you watching Skip Bayless, I'd be very surprised if he's a Seahawks fan. But anyway, the question, is it far-fetched saying Shane Waldron is our best offseason acquisition? It's possible when it's all said and done. When we look back, if Shane Waldron ends up being a success as an offensive coordinator and he's able to take this offense to the next level, then absolutely we could look back and say, that was easily the best move the Seahawks made that offseason. It really turned to the corner for the franchise, and it made Russell Wilson happy. They were able to keep him long-term. There could be some real ripple effects from that. If it goes the opposite direction, though, there may be some people in hindsight that look back and say, maybe Brian Schottenheimer was not the problem here, and you could see a bunch of major changes coming. Maybe Russell Wilson next year gets traded Maybe Pete Carroll, after signing that big contract extension, maybe after this season there's pressure and he ends up retiring. I mean, there's a lot of different things could could happen here depending on this first season plays out for Shane Waldron. He's going to have a lot of pressure on him. So it's certainly possible that that's the best move that they made. I don't think we'll know that, though, until we've gotten a sense of how he's going to perform as the play caller. You have to remember he's never been an offensive coordinator at the college or NFL level He has just been a passing game coordinator for the Rams the last three seasons. So this is a big upgrade. It's a big step up for him that I believe he is more than capable of doing. But we have to see how it goes. And they've made some nice personnel moves. I still think the Kerry Hyder signing is a really good one for Seattle, bringing in the upgrade to that base defensive end spot that gives you some positional versatility. Gerald Everett is a player coupling him back up with Shane Waldron. I think he's got a lot of untapped potential that he wasn't able to achieve with the Rams, and I think this is a good offense for him with Russell Wilson throwing in the football for maybe him to have some career numbers. So there certainly have been some nice moves they have made. Waldron might be the best when it's all said and done, but time is going to tell on that one. Jacob Serena tweets, do you think we'll end up trading players for picks in an attempt to make greater presence in the middle to late rounds? If so, who? This is a question that continues to crop up, and I know that a lot of it's because the Seahawks only have three picks, and so a lot of fans are trying to, you know, trying to think what are some ways the Seahawks can add picks without having to trade down three or four times from their second rounder, and certainly trading a proven, established player would be an option. But I just, I think this is really, really unlikely at this point. You weren't able to get anything back for Jaron Reed. You had to release him and you didn't get anything back in return, I don't see any other players unless you're going to be moving Bobby Wagner or Jamal Adams, and that is not happening. Neither one of those guys is moving. They are considered building blocks of this defense, so they're not going to be trading either one of those players. Russell Wilson, those trade rumors have died off. They're not going to be moving their star quarterback. They're not going to be getting a package back that would justify making that move. They just extended Tyler Lockett. I don't see them moving Quandre Diggs. I don't know what kind of interest they would get with Diggs only having one year left in his contract. So I look at the players they have. They don't really have any younger players that have done enough on the field that are in a reserve role that they could turn around and trade that you're going to get any value back for. I don't think you're going to be able to move Trey Flowers at this point with one year left in his contract for a seventh rounder even. Teams are going to be holding on to those draft picks. So I just don't see this happening. I think if they're going to recoup picks, it's going to be the traditional way, trading down several times or trading a future pick like John Schneider has done the last two years to get back into the draft. That is going to be on the table as well. DK Methlab tweets, I don't know where that username's coming from, but anyway, how many draft picks do you think Seahawks 
will end up having in this draft. We know Snyder's got something up his sleeves. So, you know, everybody, a lot of people do the mock draft simulators and there's just kind of this general consensus that it's easy to trade down. And I can tell you from countless people I have talked to that have worked in draft rooms, coaches, front office people, scouts, it's not near as easy as some fans think it is. It's a tedious process that you have to go through very quickly because you only have so much time that you're on the clock. John Schneider is a master at doing this, though. I still think the Seahawks are going to double their draft picks. I think they're going to end up with six picks minimum. I could see John Schneider finding a way to get into seven or eight, especially if he unloads a future pick to get back into the draft. I just I can't see him exiting this draft with three or four new players. I think six is probably the sweet spot for me, doubling the number of picks he has, whether that's from trading down from that second rounder, pick 56 twice, doing some movement with those middle round picks, trading a future pick. I don't think it's going to be a player, but that's still on the table potentially that if a team gets an offer that maybe they could move a player on the roster to get a draft pick. I think that's the least likely option for John Schneider, but I would say six picks right now is where I see the Seahawks landing in this month's draft. Randy tweets, do you think adding another wide receiver will take the pressure off of DK and Tyler Lockett? Well, it depends what receiver that you add. I certainly think that they need to have a third receiving option added to the fold here. Freddie Swain maybe could be that number three guy down the road. I just don't know going into year two if he's quite ready to be that third target. And I'm not sure they have anybody else on the roster right now. There's a dearth of experience at the receiver position after losing David Moore. They could draft a receiver. This is a really good draft class. There's still some viable free agents out there. Golden Tate, Antonio Brown, Russell Wilson's going to keep pushing the Seahawks to sign him as long as he remains unsigned. So they've got plenty of options still to upgrade that third spot. And I think if you can get a player that can run routes from the slot, can create after the catch, is a reliable receiver with athleticism, it absolutely makes life tougher for opposing defensive coordinators and defensive backs when it comes to trying to game plan for the Seahawks. And that does take pressure off of the two other big-name receivers for the Seahawks. And I just don't think they had enough help last year during the second half of the season when teams took them away with schematics. I think if you brought in an upgrade at the number three receiver position that's got a little different skill set and a different offensive scheme, then you have a chance to really limit what defenses can do. And that makes life easier for Metcalf and Lockett as a result. Last question here from Paul Zweber tweets, Rashad Penny, Rasheem Green, LJ Collier, Disley, Blair, Barton, Amadi, Flowers, etc. Will any of these young guys show out to be a good or long-term starter this year? So I say this before going into every season. We're bound to be surprised from a few of these young guys this upcoming season. If I had to make a guess, at least based on the way the roster looks right now, K.J. Wright could still return. I think there's a good chance K.J. Wright still re-signed to the Seahawks, but right now he is not on the roster. And if he is not brought back, if he goes to another team, Cody Barton, to me, is still a player that has a chance to be a solid starter at the Sam linebacker spot. You look back at his rookie season, he played a few games there in place of Michael Kendricks. He started a couple playoff games in that position. The biggest issue that he had was setting the edge against the run. He's gotten stronger. I could see him being much improved in that area, getting back to the lineup. You know he's going to be able to drop back and cover people. He has a safety background, 
And he's a player with enough athleticism. I think you can occasionally blitz off the edge. He might be able to get after the quarterback a little bit. We saw some glimpses of that during his rookie season. When he did get snaps last year, he made a lot of tackles. There were some young player mistakes still in his game. But I think he's a player that would have a chance, if K.J. Wright is not brought back, to play significant snaps at Sam linebacker spot and still prove to be a solid NFL starter. Green and Collier are going to be rotational pieces with how the line is set up right now. There's a chance LJ Collier could still be your starter at the five-tech position. Right now, though, I would predict it's going to be Kerry Hyder because they prioritize signing him in free agency. And Collier played a lot of his snaps inside last year anyway, so he's still going to be playing a lot of snaps. They're going to be keeping guys fresh. There's a lot of depth along that defensive line. Really, though, when it's all said and done, from that group of players that Paul listed, Marquise Blair, to me, is still the player with the most upside if he can just stay healthy. I've said this time and time again. Being in attendance at training camp last year, he was the most impressive player on the field on offense or defense. He was the MVP of training camp, and his teammates were wowed by his performance. It's unfortunate that a bad luck injury happened to him in week two where K.J. Wright rolled over his helmet against his knee, and then his season's over. But seeing the clips that I'm seeing, it looks like Marquise Blair is making really good progress coming back from his torn ACL. I still think he's going to be your starting slot corner. There is a chance. We don't know what's going to happen with Quandre Diggs, but there is still a chance that he's going to be one of your long-term safeties too, maybe playing next to Jamal Adams. So this is a huge season for him, and it's a really big year for Will Disley, who could still be a long-term guy at tight end too. He finally played in all 16 games last year. So that's really good news for the Seahawks. As far as the other players, you know, Rashad Penny could still be effective this year. Bringing back Chris Carson is going to limit his opportunities a little bit, but he could still go out and have a solid season in a reserve role. Amadi has played well when he's had his chances. Flower is going to be competing for a starting spot. So a number of these guys could still have a chance to be really effective. But I think Barton and Blair are the two names to really keep an eye on from that list. When we return for the third quarter, continuing our draft preview. We're now less than three weeks away from the draft. Going to be checking out that tight end group. Not a great tight end class, but there's some talent at the group that the Seahawks should be able to pick in the second, fourth, and even the seventh round. I'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have you listening in. The NFL Draft is weeks away. It's time to start following our Locked On NFL Draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the Locked On NFL Draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and Draft Dudes on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. It's been an interesting offseason for the Seahawks at the tight end position. Greg Olson, who was signed to a one-year deal last offseason, announced his retirement. So he's riding off in the sunset, potentially a Hall of Fame career. Didn't have a great loan season with the Seahawks, but he's on the move. He's retired. And Jacob Hollister also left 
to reunite with his former college teammate Josh Allen in Buffalo. So two big parts of the Seahawks tight end group gone from a year ago, but the group overall did not play well last season, did not meet expectations. No player with more than 25 receptions. Hollister led the group with three touchdowns. So there were some decent stats, but not great. The group was supposed to be a strength. It just didn't play out that way. This offseason, Colby Parkinson, still on the roster, uh, fourth-round pick a year ago, is a player that I anticipate is going to get a lot more snaps. Will Disley coming off his first 16-game season, now two years removed from an Achilles injury. We may see his production tick back up a bit in 2021. And, of course, signing Gerald Everett, who I think is going to be a big part of Seattle's passing game. Really athletic, tough after the catch, reliable hands, a better blocker than advertised. He and Disley, along with Parkins, that's a pretty good trio of tight ends. I could still see the Seahawks adding at the position, though, in the draft. I don't think it's going to be early, and so I'm going to make that clear right now. Starting with second-round options, I don't really have any tight ends that I love this early in the draft because you're obviously not going to get Kyle Pitts. I think he's gone at pick four, pick five. He is a generational talent at the tight end spot. There is a huge gap, though, from Kyle Pitts and the rest of this draft class. Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State is probably the number two tight end. I think he's gone long before pick 56. Seattle probably doesn't have a chance at him. He's more of an old-school, reliable, inline tight end. He's got soft hands. Not really a vertical threat, but he's a chain mover. He's reliable. He'll block for you. Again, I think because he's got a very well-rounded game, he's been one of the better tight ends in the college rank in the college ranks. I think he is going to be gone well before Seattle's on the clock. The player that may still be there, in fact, I think he's going to last much longer than pick 56 at this point, is Brevin Jordan out of Miami. And I'm going to be honest, he is a player that going into this draft process. I thought he's probably a late second, early third round pick. Maybe he's a player that Seattle would consider. And this is before Gerald Everett was being signed. Jordan's 247 pounds. So he's not the smallest tight end, but he's not a big one either. He did not perform near as well at his pro day, though, as I expected. A 464, 40-yard dash, not bad, but not great. Only a 31.5-inch vertical at 247 pounds. I think that has hurt his standing some going into this draft. There were already some questions about him. Watching film, I didn't see the super explosive athlete that some people did. That being said, I saw a reliable receiver. He had 576 yards and seven touchdowns last year for the Hurricanes. He's a guy that can play in line as a tight end, but I think he's got a lot of room to grow in that regard. I just don't think he has a polished enough game, and I question what his ceiling truly looks like with his athletic traits to me. He's more of a late third, early fourth round talent at this point, but I could see a team drafting him late second, early third potentially because he was a very productive player for Miami a year ago. To me, the sweet spot really is starting in the fourth round. And one of my favorite tight end prospects in this draft, Notre Dame has been a tight end factory for a long time. Tommy Tremble is a player that when you look at his production, especially as a receiver, it isn't great. He did have four touchdown receptions as a sophomore in 2019, didn't have any last year, just 16 and 19 catches in those two seasons, respectively. He's had talent in front of him at the position. Cole Komet was picked in the second round by the Bears a few years ago. He had a couple other studs at the position. Again, Notre Dame, just they they find stud tight ends like they grow on trees. It's, it's one of the tight end factories in college football. But what I really like about Tremble 
is that he is a great blocker. He's scrappy. He plays with more power than you'd expect at 241 pounds. He uses his weight well. He is technically sound as a blocker. He is a chess piece. If you can enhance his route running, to me, that's the biggest weakness in his game. He's also got to cut down on the drops a little bit. If he can improve those two areas, he has a chance to be a really good receiver at the position to go with the fact that I think he's one of the better blocking tight ends in this draft class. That would be a great fit in Shane Waldron's offense because if you've seen what Sean McVay does with tight ends with the Rams, they like tight ends that they can move all over the formation, that can block in line, that can run routes from the slot, run routes from outside. I could see Tremble being that type of a talent. He's going to need some time to develop. That's the big issue. This is why fourth round is the perfect spot for me, though. You're able to draft a player for potential at that point. He's not overly polished, but this would be a really good scheme for him. And eventually you could have him and Colby Parkinson being two of your top tight ends. Maybe Gerald Everett's part of that too. Maybe Will Disley. I mean, they would have a very solid tight end group with a lot of young talent there that would be intriguing in Waldron's offense. So Tremble to me would be an ideal fourth round pick. And then fast forwarding to the seventh round. Again, this is not a great tight end class. I don't think there's a lot of depth here either. Briley Moore from Kansas State might be gone in the fifth or sixth round, but there's a chance he could slip to the seventh too. He started his college career at Northern Iowa and then came to Kansas State as a grad transfer. 22 receptions, 338 yards, three touchdowns. Respectable numbers, not great, but respectable in the Big 12 Conference. And really, that's the word to sum up Riley Moore's game. He is a respectable player. He's well-rounded, not great at any one thing, but doesn't have any major flaws that jump out to me. As a blocker, he can be overpowered at times, but he really works at it. It's not a deficiency in his game. You can play him in line. He's also a solid receiver. He isn't going to stretch the seams. He's not going to run away from anybody. Not a big after-the-catch guy. But again, another reliable chain mover that I think has a high floor, maybe not a high ceiling. He's just a prospect that gets the job done. And I think he's more athletic than advertised. You look at his pro day numbers at 240 pounds. He ran a 4.66, so very similar to Brevin Jordan. And he also had a 37 and a half inch vertical. So more explosive in that regard. The one thing he doesn't have working in his favor, his three cone, that has been the one drill the Seahawks have relied on a lot at the tight end position. Typically they're looking in the low sevens at the three cone drill. Seven to four isn't a bad time, but it isn't quite in that wheelhouse, a little slower than what Seattle normally desires at the position. But I think in the seventh round, they could maybe forgive that. And he's a guy that could come in and compete for a roster spot right away against the other tight ends that the Seahawks have at the position. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Follow Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. When we return from the weekend, it's Mock Draft Monday. Rob and I are going to be breaking down some of the latest mock drafts coming from the national level, and we'll check out a few mock drafts from you, our listeners, as well. Enjoy your weekend. Go Hawks.